Welcome to Just Be You with your hosts, Coach John McKenna and Father Jason Porzinski. Stay tuned for the next 30 minutes as Coach McKenna and Father Jason discuss how athletics and faith help us to become who God created us to be. And now here are your hosts, Coach John McKenna and Father Jason Porzinski. Father Jason here. It's another great day to be with everyone as we find ourselves entering into the depth of summer now. And it's Coach McKenna here, and I hope you have a great day because remember, it's your choice. And, you know, one of the things I, I just want to jump off and start with because we're going to spend some time on, on an article pertaining to faith in a little bit, but there's like a great sigh of relief, I think, finally in the air in light of the fact that sports are starting to start back up. And even though we can't go to them, you can watch them on TV, on the Internet, and I think that's going to be a huge game change because now there's – Something to watch, because I think the bishop and I have watched everything there is to watch on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> We've run out of stuff to watch. This is an, a needed needed thing here. And the reruns are terrible on TV, so you're right. There's got we got to have something new on TV here, you know. You know, and the the uh, British Premier League is starting up on the 12th of June, and that that's just a you know a short handful of days away. And uh, you know, this is the only sport actually I wouldn't mind if they didn't start back up and I, and the only reason why I say that I don't know how familiar you are with soccer I know you don't consider it a real sport coach well I don't know <laughs> don't get me in trouble with the soccer people and everything because I train a lot of soccer I've gained this year with the uh, help of uh, coach Donegan from Notre Dame who unfortunately is leaving us uh to go on to uh, better things for his family but um I've learned to appreciate the game much more this year it is a fun game. I'm not just saying it because I played it as a kid. But, uh, you know, so the top four on the bracket for the Premier League go on to the Championship League. And so that's that's like the key thing. You want to finish in the top four. Liverpool's going to win the title. There's there's no question about it. They're so far above everyone else. But, you know, I'm a Chelsea guy. I was born in Chelsea, Michigan. That's why Chelsea's my, been my team, lifelong team. And uh, Chelsea's currently sitting in fourth place. So they, they're just making it right now into the Championship League for next year. And that horrible other team that, for whatever reason, so many people like. I, I believe they're called Manchester United. I'm not sure why people like them. <laughs> but they are literally on the coattails of Chelsea. And, and, and so for, that, for that reason, I, you know, as much as I would look forward to the competition, and I'm excited that it's coming back, I, I wouldn't mind if this season just sort of ended. <laughs> well, we throw in that you're saying I don't like soccer, but I'm going to let you know a little secret. When I played high school football, I would leave football practice and I would go to the uh, German-Hungarian club up in Humeville in Pennsylvania, and I was the goalie on the soccer team for the, uh, for the I adult team. I never knew that. Yes, I, never I knew was. that. Wow. Because I, I, I actually kicked field goals for uh, football and everything. I had a good foot, and, yeah. you know, and uh, they, they needed a goalie, so I played for a year. I played with the adult club. Up, that's actually where I learned to drink my first beer, too, but uh, at 18 <laughs> years old. I don't know if that was good, but, uh, um, but yes, I have played soccer for one full year so i am a soccer player also that's awesome and and you know the other thing that's starting up uh at least that that i've been following is uh you know of course golf is opening up more and more as well but um the other exciting thing which is not as popular over here yet um is australian football and uh that's starting up on uh sunday you know resuming the the 2020 season which is a great excitement uh, if you've never watched australian football it's a unique game and you're familiar with with it. Uh, when Coach Lord I was at Notre Dame, he and I talked about because he also liked Australian football, about starting up a team at Notre Dame, 
be kind of fun. Um, but, you know, he, he said that it would be hard to navigate that with uh, some of the injuries. Yeah, with so many injuries because uh, it is a man's sport. I mean, you're going out rough and tumble and you're going to get hurt and everything, but it is a great sport. Yeah, and there's uh, no pads, <laughs> unlike football where you're, like, literally covered from head to toe. Uh, you know, in Australian football, you're out there and it's – What's amazing, when football first started, I, I, I go back, I have a picture at home. My dad pay, played for the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets way back when. I guess they were before the Eagles. But I've got a picture of no face mask, leather helmet, yeah. and the pads look like they were paper. They, they, they didn't well, even look like... Well, that leather helmet, they're interesting to see. You know, when oh, you go, I have one. I have one at my uh, house. Yeah, it's, um, this, I don't even know what the point of wearing it was, to be honest. I don't either. Maybe keep your hair, you know, from getting messed <laughs> up. I, I, I don't know. But uh, but even their shoulder pads and stuff, it was like paper thin. Yeah. So uh, that was like, like just using your body. You know, it is interesting because when you think about, like, the development of helmet technology, so to speak, if you could use that, that phrase, you go from from literally wearing a, a piece of ch- or chunk of leather on your head that has almost no value at all um, to now, you know, the newest helmets that, you know, you see being talked about that are going to be released soon have the dual domes in order to absorb shock and to, uh, to resist that pressure on the, on the skull. It's amazing the, just the change in, in the nature of the game. Well, the change in the game, um, how hard people hit and everything. But one of the things is that we could talk for – we could have a three-hour show on this with concussions and everything. I think we've also taken steps backwards. As much as we've taken steps forward in the helmet itself, we've taken steps backward, a lot of schools, in the way we train our body to um, accept concussions. Um, one, you know, not, not a lot of schools train the neck. Not a lot of schools, you know, wear the right mouthpiece. Um, not a lot of schools hit as much as they can, and they're not allowed to hit as much as you can. Um, you know, I, I'm from the day and age when you rolled around in the woods, you, you jumped, you fell, you got used to being hit. You know, you, I think you've got some leagues now in football that they don't do any hitting in pre, preseason. And your body's not used to taking that shock and everything. And I think there's a lot to that. I think we need to marry all that back together again for the safety of helmets. But like I said, we could do a three-hour show on that. Well, and I, you know, I think that ties into the whole idea. You know, we, we get comfortable with where we find ourselves. And so, you know, the padding is, is improved greatly. The helmet technology is rather amazing. You know, the fact that there's now sensors in the helmets that, you know, the pro guys are wearing where they can actually evaluate impact and so on. But I think there's a, almost a, um, you know, a sense of like, well, this has improved so much so we don't have to worry about that training. You know, there's almost like a compensation that's sort of taken place for more of a reliance, I guess you could say. You know, um, you know, they always say, you know, and I'm a big believer in more is not always better. Um, it's how you do things. And I go back to my police days and everything. When you first start as a police officer, you have every gadget on your belt, every gadget you can think of. When I retired after 22 years, I was lucky I had a gun, my handcuffs, a radio, and that little common sense thing, which is the most important thing, which I think is lacking out there a little bit right now. But I had that common sense thing on there. But you know what? I didn't need all those other little toys and everything. And sometimes, you know, and I got the belt got lighter and everything. And, and But, but um, I was still as effective as I was the day I started. And I think that's the way with equipment. We wear, uh, with football, we wear a lot of uh, equipment. and um, But you find guys are cutting the knee pads down or cutting the thigh pads yeah. down. You know, we worry about knee injuries looking at pros they don't even cover their knees anymore 
You know, so again, you know, I, I my theory on that, not to say my theory's right. Um, I've only been involved in the game for uh, 30 something years, but I have my opinion. But uh, there's a lot more people out there smarter than I am, so we'll go with them. You know, and you can actually take that concept and pull it right into the world of faith because uh, just a week or so ago, I was talking with one of the young men who's considering and discerning priesthood. And, and one of the things that he, he conveyed to me was a struggle that he was having in actually being able to have uh, value prayer in the sense of actually having you know time that was of value, uh, to, according to his opinion of it. And so I was uh, talking to him about it, and he was going through the list of everything he was doing. And, and for those who aren't familiar, there's, there's a, a set of uh, prayer books called the Breviary, uh, which is what priests and deacons and religious uh, as well as, as a number of a growing number of faithful will pray, and it's five times throughout the day in which we're drawn into prayer in order to sanctify the day. Uh, it's an obligation, it's a promise that priests and, and religious make um, to pray that five times a day. Um, and so that, that is, is something. So he said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the breviary now, and then he mentioned you know, the rosary, which is a great, another devotion, you know, having that, that tie into the Blessed Mother is very important. And then he listed off about 20 other devotions that he was going through. And so I stopped him and I said, well, well, prayer can't be a checklist. You just can't have like this massive arsenal of devotions and then expect that that actually has some value in the long run because you don't need a thousand and one devotions. What you need is an understanding of who Christ is and, and to be able to recognize him in your life. And if the devotions are becoming the distraction, you're missing out on the main focus of what your prayer life is supposed to be like. Well, you know, and, and um, I'm going to cut that down in the layman's terms here, you know, for me and everything. But it's like uh, with me with prayer, it's not um, it's not how you pray, um, you know, how much you pray. It's what you pray. Um, you, know, you know, somebody may have 30 prayers they do every day. But my three prayers I do every day may mean as much to me and work for me and everything. And I think that's important to know and everything. And um I still think it's going the same place, you know. Right. Oh, absolutely. And it, as long as it's a, you know, when I was first in seminary, I had, I did, was very similar to this, this young man, and and so I, I can appreciate what he was conveying, and I actually literally did create a checklist, <laughs> in order to kind of force myself into holiness, and you know, of course, that's you know not something we want to do. We don't want to turn prayer into a checklist where you're literally checking off a box saying, all right, I prayed the rosary, now I'm good on this for today. I prayed this, I'm good on this for the day. Because all of a sudden it takes prayer and turns it into some sort of mechanism where you're almost buying holiness. So you, you become actually holiness. where you're doing it to do it because you, it's a checklist. It's not a passion to do it. Right. It becomes, oh, well, this is a really cool prayer. I really like this prayer. Oh, oh, that's an awesome devotion. I really like that devotion. So it's like, oh, let me add it to my list. I want to do that. Or I'll do this novena for this cause and that novena for this person who's in need of prayer. And all of them independently are great. But if they become a checklist where we're just going through the motions and not actually entering deep into prayer, we're missing the point of what prayer is all about. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. They just go through the, the motions. It's supposed to be done just like going to church. And um, I think it was last week we had Eileen Vernon on our show, and she, she brought up a good point. You know, you don't realize how important something is till it's taken away from you. And she was talking about, you know, not being able to go to Mass all the time and everything. And I think that is so important to realize, you know, um, we all don't, you know, we go to Mass regularly and everything. And I, we go with uh, Father Mike up at St. John's uh, 
call him Huggy Bear. But um, the, the big thing is there is, guess what? I miss it now. You know, and not that I didn't appreciate it when we were there and everything, but it's taken away. Now, I, you know, I want it back. I, uh, right. I miss it. And it's a part of uh, it's part of my life that, that I miss right now that, that I can't wait to come back. And with that, we're going to take a short break. And when we return, we're going to pick up with an article uh, regarding the uh, Christian music band Hawk Nelson. We asked people all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? Boy, I gave a huge hug this morning, like a really big squeeze that lasted forever. Great kiss. Those things are really important. <laughs> she got a really short haircut that she hated, and I wrote her a note and put it up on the mirror saying that she was a cute girl with cute hair. What have I done for my marriage today? We've actually organized a date night tonight. What have I done for my marriage today? Wow, that is a great question. Uh, I took the baby while she worked. I got up with the baby while he slept. Yeah. <laughs> Today, I sent an email to my husband, and I said, you rock. Well, I've done today what I usually do, and that is obey. I listened to my wife uh, when we talked on the telephone today. She really likes it when I listen. What have you done for your marriage today? Little things can make a big difference. For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. We asked people all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? Boy, I gave a huge hug this morning, like a really big squeeze that lasted forever. Great kiss. Those things are really important. <laughs> she got a really short haircut that she hated, and I wrote her a note and put it up on the mirror saying that she was a cute girl with cute hair. What have I done for my marriage today? We've actually organized a date night tonight. What have I done for my marriage today? Wow, that is a great question. Uh, I took the baby while she worked. I got up with the baby while he slept. Yeah. <laughs> today, I sent an email to my husband and I said, you rock. Well, I've done today what I usually do, and that is obey. I listened to my wife uh, when we talked on the telephone today. She really likes it when I listen. What have you done for your marriage today? Little things can make a big difference. For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. Welcome back to the show. And, and as I mentioned before the break, we want to jump into this article uh, that was uh, published a couple weeks ago. Um, regarding uh, Jonathan Steingard, who is the uh, front lead singer and songwriter for the Christian praise and worship group Hawk Nelson, and and what's interesting about this is is the fact that he's the son of a, a uh, pastor uh, in the evangelical Protestant world, um, and he's his wife is actually um, the child of uh, evangelical pastor as well, from what I'm understanding from the article. But he posted a rather lengthy multiple-page Instagram post stating his faith struggle that he'd been experiencing for the last few years that has finally brought him to a point where he needed to make a public statement regarding his personal faith and being such a, a public figure in the Christian music world. It was rather striking to see this in which he conveys that he no longer believes in God, which is is a stark thing for someone who's the lead singer and songwriter for a Christian praise band. Yeah, it's very radical, too, and I, I'm sure it's because of his time, and I think uh, from looking through the article also, it talks about that he had downtime because, of course, they're not playing any concerts and everything and, and everything. And I just wonder where he is. You know, number one, you know, for me, for a young man like this, you got to pray for him. 
Um, you got to pray for him and hope he finds his way and finds his happiness. It's not my judgment what his happiness is. It's like uh, we were talking earlier. It's like, uh, you know, but, but if I was raised where um, my dad uh, lo- loved nothing but baseball, and that's all he exposed me to, nothing else, well, eventually I find football, and then, you know, it's almost like you feel like you're revolting because you like something other than what you were brought up on. And I just wonder if he was brought up and his dad was a pastor and he was in church and everything all the time, if the, if this wasn't a choice, if this wasn't a journey, and if he didn't find the Lord on his own, if he just always felt like he was forced into this. Um, even the music, even doing the music where, you know, I can imagine, you know, he was probably in the choir, the uh, the young choir, then the older right, choir, you right. know, everything. And it was just uh, made to be part of his life where he thought he had to do this. And now he's got some downtime and he's seeing there's other options. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, the process, obviously, you know, there are, there are times in which many of us will go through a, a struggle of faith on how to reconcile some of the same questions um, that he lists in, in his uh, Instagram post, you know, the questions of, you know, the reality of free will and, and evil and suffering in the world and, 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 and of the like uh, nature. And, and I think what becomes an important part is, is did we take ownership or not? And, and I, I certainly am not bringing this article up to criticize Jonathan by any means at all. I think it was rather courageous and brave of him to publicly express his faith struggle that he's going through. But I think that him doing this provides us an opportunity to reflect on what makes a difference in how we come to resolve our faith struggle. What 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 can we do? And I hope as, as a faith community, we're not quick to throw him to the sidelines and, and call him a hypocrite or anything like that. Because I think what's, what really matters now is, is for the faith community to gather together to pray for him as well as to you know, for those who know him in particular, to provide that guidance that he clearly needs to recognize the truth. Well, you know, and, and I got, and please don't take this the wrong way. I, I got to be very proud of the young man for him to speak his piece because he could have been a hypocrite, hid this, still played his music, still made his money right. off off his concerts and everything, and just go along and say, hey, you know, look, you know, I really don't believe in this stuff, but if these people do, I'm going to keep taking their dollar here, you know, and uh, and he didn't do that, you know, so he went against, and you know, I'm sure he knows he's taking a hit on his career. Um, you know, and I don't know how he recovers from that. And that's what we pray for, that he finds his way, you know. And you know what? He's going to find out that people are very forgiving. We've all had times where we've questioned and saying, yo, what are you doing up there? What are you doing here? How do I believe in you? You know, somebody passes away and, you know, that shouldn't have gone, you know, dies right. too young. You say, well, what's going on? And I just believe that it gets to a point where you got to believe, you know, that he just has your back all the time and he has the journey and there's a reason for everything. Um, Yeah, and I I just I just want to jump in on that. And I think that that's one of the things, you know, unfortunately, you know, there is a reality. And, you know, just to put it bluntly, there is a reality. There is a difference between the Catholic and Orthodox faith and the Protestant evangelical world. And, and that difference is, is that in the Catholic and Orthodox perspective, uh, we recognize and believe that Jesus didn't just enter into the world, but the plan that God had for salvation began with the very first covenant in the Old Testament. 
and progressed through three other covenants in the Old Testament. So there's four covenants in the Old Testament that brings about the fifth and final covenant with Christ who fulfills the previous four. But what we see is is that each of those covenants is an expansion of the promise of God for salvation, a a reliance on family um, is emphasized in each of those covenants, and a recognition of how the community together plays a fundamental role in preparing people's hearts and minds and souls for the final covenant. There was a foundation built. Absolutely. And unfortunately, in the Protestant evangelical world, a lot of that foundation is sort of just glanced upon or not even really considered present. And I think that's one of the biggest difference when you look at theological discourse. And and, and unfortunately, that's what, when I was reading through his multiple-page post, became very evident, um, is that his struggles lacked that foundation of understanding how salvation came about and why it came about the way it did. And we talk about this all the time in athletics, that if you don't build the proper foundation— um, for anything in your life, right. that eventually, if you build a house with a bad foundation, and the house may last for 20 years, but eventually it's going to start to crumble. And uh, that's why, you know, everything you do, you know, we talk about tools in your toolbox and everything, but it's about building that brick by brick by brick, that foundation the right way, because you want it to last a lifetime and beyond, which I think is, uh, you know, very important that, you know, we're, we're here on Earth for a short period of time, even though some of us are here longer than others and everything. But but still, my life is going to go on from the day when I leave here, this earthly Earth, when I leave here, uh, my, my life's still going to go on. Right. And, you know, and I think that's what gets me through because I have that foundation. Um, I believe in uh, everything that's been set up for me, and uh, and I've worked at it. And I think that you're right. That's important. You know, and I think, you know, getting to the fundamentals, you know, there is something that, you know, to uh, reference back to um, to uh, Fulton Sheen, um, you know, who is, a, a, you know, amazing, amazing uh, individual on his way to canonization. And uh, but one of the things that he said in regard to philosophy of God, which is actually a phrase coined by him, when you look at the philosophical understandings of God in the world of metaphysics, not to get into the depth of that, but. But one of the things that he highlights and points out is is that we have to recognize that we're confined to our humanness because that is the perspective and the understanding with which we view and understand the world around us. That is unique to us as human beings, just as dogs in their dogness are confined to their nature and will only ever be able to understand the world from their perspective. Now, here's the point. We can attempt to understand how a dog might perceive the world around it, but it still is an attempt through the lens of our human perspective. And so we're, no matter how we look at trying to figure out what the dog's perspective is, it's always through the lens of our human perspective. And so we're limited. And what Fulton Sheen's whole point on this was in, in the philosophy class that he taught at Catholic U was the fact that when we're studying God, we always have to be aware that we may not understand the full depth of what's going on because we're limited to our humanness. Well, also, if you're trying, we're limited to our humanness, but we're also, if you don't trust what you, what you, your foundation, what you've developed, what you read, what you, you know, you believe in everything. And I think that's an important thing too. If you trust it enough where you can, um, you'll never fully understand it, but if you trust it enough, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, and I think that really is the key point. And I think one of the things that he brings up um, in this Instagram post of his that, you know, I had a conversation with a few people about now since since reading it, 
uh, was the fact that <clears throat> he mentions that, you know, his parents taught him how to forgive others, um, you know, just as, as God is forgiving of us. Um, but in his forgiveness of others, it doesn't require the sacrifice of his own son, whereas for God it did. Now, on a very service-level perspective, I can see that correlation of thought, because um, his whole trouble is, is that how can God kill his own son for forgiveness when, when I don't have to do that to forgive someone? Uh, but there, there's, that's where the breakdown in without the foundation comes to be seen in faith, because there's a lack of understanding of the salvific plan, as well as what human nature involves, and how grace is involved in bringing all of that together. And you know, you could spend hours going into that. And uh, well, again, you could talk about you know he sacrificed his son for his love for us to show his love for us, and I think that's part of the foundation. Right, and in doing so, without going into any depth because we don't have the time, but there's also a fulfillment of all the temple worship practices. You know, Yom Kippur plays into there. Uh, you know, being fulfilled in the actions of Christ, and that's you know that is a very particular uh, nature with why Christ does what he does, and. You know, I think that's one of the things that sometimes uh, when we're struggling with faith, when we lack that perspective and that foundation and that awareness that Christ didn't enter into the world, but entered into a salvific plan that began from the first moment uh, of original sin entering in. Well, and again, and, and I'm going to tell the people out there that, you know, and, and again, I'm not always right. and uh, I don't claim to be right all the time, but I'm still a firm believer. In, and I said this in the last show, you go back to the song uh, Unanswered Prayers by Garth Brooks. Take some time to listen to it. Listen to the words and everything. And, you know, sometimes we expect to get everything we pray for. And right. it's not going to happen because, you know what? He knows it's not good for you. And, you know, the, of course, this song's about, you know, uh, a former girlfriend and everything, and it turns out that he ends up meeting the, the wife who was his soulmate for the rest of his life, and, and he's basically thanking God for the unanswered prayers. But you know what? You've got to, you know, uh, trust that, hey, not everything is the right thing for you, even though at that moment you may think it's what you want. Uh, what you want is not always what you need. And and like you said, sometimes time brings to light that that want or that desire down the road really wasn't what you were really going for after all absolutely you know and, and i think you know as we kind of bring this topic to a close i think it's really important uh, for all of us um, regardless of where we are at to take time to spend with the scriptures to get to know who christ is and and if if there's anything that one can do one of the things i remind um, people when i see them in spiritual direction is there's eight books in the Bible that we should all become incredibly well-versed in, and that's starting with the four Gospels. We should read through the four Gospels, pray through the four Gospels, and then we should go back to First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings in the Old Testament and see how the Davidic kingship is established and how that whole aspect comes together in preparation for Christ. Because when we prayerfully go through the Gospels and then go prayerfully through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, the whole understanding of salvation starts to come to light and can really make a difference in our faith journey. Well, that sounds like a heck of a challenge for the day, uh, Father. I don't even know if I got a challenge that can match that one. And then until next time, God bless.